Well, last last school year, I read Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, uh, to my kids, and I loved it, and I think they loved it too. And it is an amazing story. Uh, one of the central and most interesting characters uh, in the book is the Ten Boom's house, which they called the Bea. After the Nazis invaded the Netherlands in 1940, the Bea became a hiding place for Jews and others that were targeted by the Nazis. In Corey's room, they constructed a false brick wall behind which was a secret uh, room accessed by this little closet. And during security sweeps in the neighborhood, a buzzer would sound in the house, giving the refugees a little over a minute to get themselves to the little concealed room and hide. Biography.com said, quote, During the war, the Bea House became a refuge for Jews, students, and intellectuals. End of quote. The Ten Boom's house was a refuge from Nazi trouble. Hundreds of people found refuge in the home of the Ten Booms. When we're afraid, we want to be comforted and feel safe. There's a reason why, as little kids, we hide or hid uh, behind our mothers when we were introduced to a new person, or when hearing a bump in the night, we, we pulled the covers up to our chins. When we feel threatened and afraid, we look for refuge. Psalm 46 is about finding refuge in God. Psalm 46 was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. Luther built his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, upon Psalm 46. And it is said of, that Luther, said of Luther that during the hostile times of the Reformation, he would say to Philip Melanchthon, his fellow reformer, Come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 46 can comfort us as we face physically threatening situations, but even more when we face spiritually threatening situations, situations when our soul is anxious. But for Psalm 46 to be a true comfort for you, dear saints, you must understand and believe it. Uh, here are some introductory comments before I get into my six points. The psalm begins to the choir master of the sons of Korah, uh, 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 according to Alamoth, a song. Now, we don't really know the date or the author or the circumstances of this song. The sons of, of Korah were descendants of Korah from the tribe of Levi. Some were temple singers. Scholars aren't sure what the term Alamoth means, but it's likely some musical term. So this is a praise song for the church of the ages. Now, there's a, there's a dangerous way to read the Bible, and I caution you against it. It's easy to pluck verses from their original context and audience and to read them individualistically as if we are the original context and audience. It's best to first climb back into the original setting the best that we can, understand the dynamics of the text at that time, and then pull from it universal truths to apply to our lives today. 
This can be tricky work, but it is very important to do. The original audience of Psalm 46 was the nation of Israel, or we could say God's covenant people during the Old Covenant, or we could say the church of the Old Covenant. And as a nation, Israel had many enemies who hated their God and hated them. This song was meant to comfort God's covenant people with the presence of Yahweh as they face their enemies. Psalm 46 may be talking about God's general protection uh, and, and general deliverance of his people, or as some commentators have concluded, it may be expressing thankfulness for a particular deliverance of Israel from attack against Jerusalem. Either way, Psalm 46 is meant to deeply comfort God's covenant people with the presence and provision of God in times of trouble. See, God raises up prophets, preachers, through the ages to remind his people when trouble comes, our covenant God is our refuge, strength, and very present help in times of trouble. God's people must be frequently reminded of that comfort. Psalm 46 is also very applicable for us today. Martin Luther said, quote, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin, end of quote. Luther got it. Luther got it. All that by way of introduction. When combined, my first five points form one point. God is our refuge and fortress. God is our strength. God is with us. God is our help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear and will find gladness and comfort in our exalted Christ. Then out of those five points comes my sixth point, a question. How do we fight fear and find gladness and comfort in Christ? So number one, God is our refuge and fortress. God is our refuge, that's verse one. And referring to the, the city of God or Zion in whom God dwells, verse five says, she shall not be moved. Verses seven and 11 use covenantal language. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Zion was a Jebusite fortress conquered by David in 2 Samuel 5 and came to be known as the city of David. During Solomon's reign, the temple mount was added to Zion. However, scripture also uses the term Zion, meaning the city of God, to refer to all of Jerusalem or even God's covenant people. The city of God was a fortress. So was the high city itself Israel's stronghold? Were the walls Israel's protection? Were Israel's warriors and weapons their true defense? No. No, David said in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots 
and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. God himself is our refuge, a refuge and fortress for his people. So let me ask, is there a safer place to be than within God's guard? Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men, man, than to trust in man. How often we as God's people are enticed to trust in man. Dear saints, God is the refuge of his people, their fortress, their defense, their stronghold, and by implication, he is therefore then their only hope. This is an important first point because only those within the refuge and fortress of God receive the strength and help of God. Number two, God is our strength. That's verse one. Verses five and six add, God is in, her, in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So why won't the people of God be moved? Because God is in their midst. Their strength against their enemies is not their own capabilities, but is the voice of their God which melts the earth. That's power. Look, look at verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. It's vivid language. The songwriter calls people to come and see the mighty works of Yahweh, Israel's covenant God. Though Israel's enemies sought to obliterate them, God brought desolations on their enemies. Desolations are ravaged and ruinous places. The, the great Puritan commentator, Matthew Henry, he said this, particularly take notice of the desolations he has made in the earth among the enemies of his church who thought to lay the land of Israel desolate. The destruction they designed to bring upon the church has been turned upon themselves. End of quote. Saints, enemies of the church seek to destroy the church, but will themselves be destroyed by the strength of God's righteous judgment. Yahweh powerfully makes wars cease and annihilates the weapons of war. Yahweh overcomes by his strength. So when, when bullies are coming for you on the playground to beat you up, do you want your older brother to be a skinny little runt, 120 pounds soaking wet, or do you want him to be 200 pounds of solid muscle and the state's wrestling champion. See, strength serves and solaces those who seek safety in it. 
It's strange, very strange, when professing Christians ignore or diminish or even scorn God's wrath and strength against his enemies. Some churchgoers only want to talk about God's love and acceptance virtually for everyone, and they undermine and sometimes outright deny God's holiness, righteousness, omnipotence, and sovereignty. They are quick to quote, God is love, and seem adverse or at least unaware of verses like, he utters his voice, the earth melts, and he has brought desolations on the earth. Those who truly know God rejoice that scripture says God is love. They rejoice in that. But they also rejoice that scripture says our God is a consuming fire. And God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And the Lord is a God of justice. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. That's good for those safe within the refuge of God. God's strength serves and solaces those who seek safety in it. Do we prefer that our God be weak and apathetic towards evil? He utters his voice, the earth melts, and his justice is good for us who are safe in him. We rejoice that he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. What I'm getting at is God's fury and strength against his enemies secures for us, his children, the promises of Psalm 46. Many people are quick to poo-poo certain attributes of God without realizing the comfort those attributes provide. Just listen. God is our refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. We will not fear. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. All of that is wonderful precisely because God opposes all that is evil with the full fury of his righteous might. In Psalm 59, verse 17, David refers to God as, uh, like this. Oh, my strength. Strength is how David referred to and addressed God. And then David added, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. See, for David, the absolute strength of God was inseparable from the steadfast love of God. And the steadfast love of God was displayed to those in the fortress. And we must ask ourselves this question. 
from what are we protected by finding refuge in God? Now, I'll return to that important question later, but I'd like you to remember it. From what are we protected by finding refuge in God? Number three, God is with us. God is a very present help in trouble. He, he helps his people because he's with his people. Verse four says that the city of God was the holy habitation of God. God dwelt with his people. We think of the tabernacle and the temple and the weight of God's presence and glory, all of which were a great comfort to Israel. He was with them. Israel experienced, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. The psalmist repeats in verses 7 and 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. Now, I have a confession. I'll send this out to the world that they can know this. Uh, but um, I've sung A Mighty Fortress is Our God many, many times without understanding the line, Lord Sabaoth, his name. So I, I confess, I couldn't have told you what, what that means. My eyes have been opened, so to speak. Uh, I understand it better now. Sabaoth is the Hebrew word referring to an army assembling to, to fight uh, and is used in Psalm 46, 7 and 11 as a title for God, meaning that God is the Lord or the commander of a great army. Hence, he is almighty and he is omnipotent. Now, this connects back to our last point. God is our strength. The psalmist was reminding God's people that their God is Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, who was with them. So what a comfort that was in times of trouble. Calvin said this, The psalmist now shows that the great security of the church consists in this, that God dwells in the midst of her. The holy city shall not be moved or shaken because God dwells there and is always ready to help her. End of quote. What is there to fear when Lord Sabaoth is here? There are times in life, I think in all of our lives, when it feels as if God is distant, aloof, tending to other business, uh, and, and not really available for us in our time of needs. H haven't you felt that before? Felt that way? And, and here's where we need God to graciously align our feelings and our thoughts with reality. The Lord of hosts is with his church. That's reality. The covenant people of God have always been in trouble when they forget that Lord Sabaoth is their God and is with them in trouble. Number four, God is our help in times of trouble. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Do you know the word sucker? Sucker, S-U-C-C-O-R. It literally means to run to, 
to run to to support, to help or relieve someone who's distressed, someone that's in trouble. The idea in verse 1 is that when God's covenant people um, face trouble, metaphorically, God is running to them in their trouble to help them. In other words, there's no need to fear. God is here. Consider verses 4 and 5 again. The Most High dwells in the city of God with his people. He is in the midst of her. And verse 5 says, God will help her when morning dawns. Every day the sun rises. No matter what lurks outside the city gates, God is with his people helping them. When I was a kid, I used to watch reruns of a, of a cartoon show called Underdog. Does anyone out there remember the, the show Underdog? Did you watch that show? Well, Underdog would arrive on the scene when someone was in distress and call out, there's no need to fear, Underdog is here. There's no need to fear, God is here. That's actually real. Uh, Israel rejected the Lord. The nation of Israel rejected the Lord. They looked to idols and earthly kings and they turned from God. And, and so it is so easy to look for refuge, strength, and help in all the wrong places. Uh, we need a simple reminder over and over and over again, a gospel reminder, dear saints, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help when everything falls apart. God is our refuge and fortress. God is our strength. God is with us. God is our help in times of trouble. And number five, therefore, we will not fear and will find gladness and comfort in our exalted Christ. We need to connect Psalm 46 to Christ. Look at how verses 1 and 2 work together. Verse 1 reveals who God is for his people. Verse 2 follows then, therefore we will not fear. We will not fear when we rest in who our God is for us. Theology is vital, absolutely essential good, substantial, deep, weighty theology is vital for our lives because if we are to receive comfort from God, we must know who God actually is as he has revealed himself in scripture. The psalmist continues by listing all these catastrophic events. Though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That sounds frightening. All of that is very frightening. It's hyperbole. Hyperbole to describe real and terrifying trouble for God's people. It's like saying the sky is falling. Everything is going wrong. In other words, life is falling apart, but we will not fear because we know who God is for us. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Fear inside of us is mitigated by resting in the reality of God. Theology matters a lot. What we think about God and who he is matters a lot. It's practical. The better we know God as he has revealed himself in scripture, the less we fear in trouble. Paper-thin theology is an open door to fear. It's just welcoming fear to come and anxiety to come. Now, fear is natural, uh, and it's not even always bad. I mean, you should be afraid staring down the barrel of a gun. Uh, or when the zoo, you're, you're having a trip and you're with your kids and you're meandering around looking at all the animals and the zoo politely announces to you and the kids that they can't find Kitty, their 400-pound lion. There's a good reason to fear sometimes. But how you respond in times of trouble says a lot about what you actually believe about God. John Calvin gave a very helpful challenge. He said, It is an easy matter to manifest the appearance of great confidence so long as we are not placed in imminent danger. But if, in the midst of a general crash of the whole world, our minds continue undisturbed and free of trouble, this is evident Proof that we attribute to the power of God the honor which belongs to him. End of quote. Saints, it's easy for us to appear confident in God with great mighty faith when there is no trouble in our lives, when things are easy sailing. But when trouble comes, there, in the trouble, we find out what we really believe about God. And in our weakness, in our weakness, because if you're like me, you look at those times of trouble and see how weak your faith is and you get concerned. I mean, do I even really know God? Can I feel this much fear? Why am I not trusting him? And we get all this stuff going on when things fall apart. In our weakness, God provides us the strength, graciously provides us the strength that we need to persevere. He grows our faith in those times as we find refuge in him. So dear brothers and sisters, let us not fear, but trust and rest in God's grace. Saints, if by God's grace, if by God's grace and spirit, if we have rest of soul amidst this coronavirus scare, that rest of soul that we have is evidence of our Father's power and provision for which we give him all the glory. When the sky falls and we seek refuge in our God and we do not fear because we have refuge in God, our composure exalts the glory of our God because he's providing for us in that moment. Look again at, at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. That sounds like a great verse. Interestingly, no river ran into Jerusalem. What's the songwriter saying? 
In the second part of verse 4, he mentions the holy habitation of God in the city. And in verse 5, that God is in the midst of her. I take these lyrics to mean that God himself is the metaphorical river who blesses and makes his people glad with his presence. The famous Southern Presbyterian preacher of the 19th century, William S. Plumer, said this, The streams of spiritual blessings flowing from God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost make glad the city of God continually. Jerusalem was the type of the true church of all ages. End of quote. Yes, the original uh, context and audience of Psalm 46 was Israel. But the song is typological of the true church in all ages receiving the blessing of God through Christ Jesus, their Savior. Psalm 46 finds its fullest expression in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gracious gift of the Holy Spirit to his people. A question. A question. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how is God with us? How is God our refuge and strength? How do we receive our Father's blessing and gladness? The New Testament refers to Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said things like, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said that the Father will give his disciples another helper, comforter, a helper to be with them forever. Jesus told his disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God sent forth his only begotten son to dwell among us, to be our righteousness to become our refuge and strength, a very present help in our trouble. Jesus Christ has achieved salvation through his righteous life and horrific crucifixion and miraculous resurrection and helps his church by his continually, continual intercession for them. Out of immense love, out of immense mercy, out of immense grace, our God sent forth the Holy Spirit to dwell with us and in us to be our helper. Psalm 46 was a great comfort to the elect within national Israel, but the song was typological of Christ and the song's depth and meaning extend to Christ who is for us the elect people of God throughout the ages our refuge strength 
ever-present help, river of life and gladness, Lord of hosts, covenant God, fortress, one who makes wars cease to bring peace, who breaks the weapons of war, who is uh, our conquering hero and king, who is with us now and who is with us forever. People of God, can you read Psalm 46 without thinking of Christ? Jesus is the greater tabernacle. Jesus is the greater temple. Jesus is the greater Jerusalem. And Jesus is God with us. Now, verse 10 is among the most famous verses of Scripture. And maybe you've seen it on a coffee mug or superimposed over a picture of someone sitting in a quiet scene by a lake contemplating God in the quiet moments of their thoughts. Verse 10 is often understood as a uh, a contemplative verse. Uh, Like we sit quietly in the still of the morning during our devotions and we reflect upon God. Well, as good as that is to do, I recommend it. I think we should do that. That's probably not what verse 10 means. Dr. James Boyce wrote this. In this setting... Be still and know that I am God is not advice to us to lead a contemplative life, however important that may be. It means rather lay down your arms, surrender, and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. End of quote. So let me explain. Look at the context. Verse 6 mentions the nations raging and kingdoms tottering and God judging. The psalmist mentions twice the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth. And in verse 8, there is a call to come and to behold the works of Yahweh, Israel's covenant God. In verse 9, God is bringing peace for Israel by ceasing wars and destroying weapons of war. And then God says... Be still and know that I am God, only to follow that up with, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It is as if God is telling the nations, stop, put down your arms, put down your weapons, surrender, rest from your rage against me and against my people, my covenant people. Instead, know that I am God. Know that I will be exalted in all of creation. Does not God call to even his enemies to surrender to him? Where does the war against God and his people cease? At the cross of Jesus Christ. Where do people encounter God and his marvelous works? At the cross of Jesus Christ. Now I want to return to my question from before. From what are we protected by finding refuge in God? Ultimately, it's not from pain, disease, political oppression, war, famine, poverty, persecution, or temporal things like this in this life. 
Now, it is true that God often does protect his people from these temporal threats, but he often doesn't. We need to think more broadly than our physical well-being in this life. Our enemies and deepest troubles are far greater than pain, disease, political oppression, war, famine, poverty, persecution, and the like. Our greatest enemies and troubles are and revolve around our sinful flesh, the world, and the devil. And our greatest threat is the holy and righteous judgment of God. We need a refuge and fortress against the onslaught of God's righteous and holy wrath. Now, John 3.16 is famous. You probably have it memorized. John 3.36 is less famous. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. When Christ is your refuge and fortress, brothers and sisters, in Christ you have eternal life and are sheltered from God's holy wrath, condemnation, judgment. But if you seek refuge in something else other than Christ, if you reject Christ with unbelief and apathy, Scripture says the wrath of God remains on you. Now listen to Romans 5, 9 and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. How is Christ our refuge and strength? How does Christ help us? From what does Christ shelter us? It is not that he makes us healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in this life. It is, as Paul said, he helps us by saving us from the oncoming wrath of God. And dear saints, Christ does that every single day. For his people. He shelters you every day from the devastation of the flesh, the world, and the devil, and he works to conform you to his beautiful image until one day in the near future he will finish his work in you and bless you forever in God's presence. This is why Psalm 34, verse 22 says, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Condemned is not a word that you use to describe earthly troubles. Condemned is a legal and spiritual trouble. This is why Isaiah prophesied, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, 
and he has become my salvation. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our refuge and strength and help and hope in times of trouble is Christ our salvation who promises us, I am with you always to the end of the age. Heidelberg 31 says that as our eternal king, Jesus governs us by his word and spirit and defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Did you get that? His defense and preservation is not primarily our physical well-being in this life, but rather our spiritual well-being in the redemption that he has obtained for us. Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot, when, when she was alive, knew earthly and temporal trouble. Uh, her first husband, Jim, was speared to death. Her second husband, Addison, died of cancer about four years after their wedding. Elizabeth once explained Psalm 46 like this. Everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort, a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. End of quote. God is not shaken. Saints, when temptation comes, Christ is not shaken. When our sin disheartens, Christ is not shaken. When our faith wavers, Christ is not shaken. When we fear the law's loud accusations, Christ is not shaken. When we face the imminence of death, Christ is not shaken. Saints, when we are weak, when we are at our worst, Christ is our unshakable refuge, fortress, strength, and very present help in our trouble. Now, from that, those five points, really one point, number six, how do we fight fear and gladness and comfort um, and find gladness and comfort in Christ? Well, Let's ask this question, how does our king govern, defend, and preserve us? How does Jesus do that? How does he shepherd us? How does God help you, practically speaking? How does that happen? It's simple. By his word and spirit. God certainly provides uh, you physical needs and protections. We all have stories. And I think we're all well cared for uh, by God. But even more, by his grace and spirit at work in you, God works faith in your heart through the preaching of the gospel and strengthens your faith by the sacraments, even communes with you intimately in prayer so that you will be safe in times of trouble and persevere without losing heart. He gives you um, and preserves and strengthens your faith. And he uses simple 
but supernatural means to do it. The question is, are you receiving the means of God's grace, his word and sacraments, trusting and expecting God to be your refuge, strength, and very present help through those means of grace? Are you expecting that? Is that what you're, you're, where you're looking for the help of God to come? Or are you looking for something else? Maybe something more flashy. Maybe something that you can get your hands on. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to take shelter in Christ as your refuge, fortress, and strength so that you can say with confidence, therefore, I will not fear.